Did you know that studies have shown affirmations can profoundly influence your psychological well-being, enhancing self-confidence and reducing anxiety? Here at Positive Birth Australia, we have crafted a 20-minute birth affirmations track filled with soulful, carefully curated affirmations to empower, inspire, and guide you to deeply remember the power you hold within. And to my fellow belly birth mothers, we have created a track specifically for you to honor that all birth is a sacred moment of profound significance. For only $5, you can download and immerse yourself in our affirmations track to transform your mindset in the lead up to birth and during labor, serving as a potent reminder of the inherent power and love you possess. Visit us at www.positivebirthaustralia.com or head to the show notes and follow the link provided to start your journey toward a more empowered birth experience. Welcome to Positive Birth Australia, a podcast created to empower and educate mothers along their own pregnancy journey. Each week, I'll be sharing insightful and inspiring birth stories and advice in the hopes to help you create your own positive birth experience. I'm your host, Sky Marie. Let's get into today's show. Welcome back everyone. On today's episode, we dive into the contrasting birth experiences of Australia's first professional Instagrammer, Lauren Bath. After eight adventurous years traveling the globe as a dedicated travel influencer, Lauren's path led her to a profound new chapter, motherhood. Coming off a whirlwind of experiences, Lauren knew it was time to anchor herself and nurture a family of her own. The radiance of Lauren's pregnancy journey painted a portrait of vitality and inner glow. While her husband's Zimbabwean heritage introduced her to the essence of natural birthing, she chose to further educate herself through a hypnobirthing class. Armed with knowledge and a steadfast vision for her birth outcome, Lauren's evolution from maiden to mother began to unfold. Faced with overwhelming fatigue after a 36-hour labor, she opted for much-needed respite through an epidural, a decision that brought a mix of relief at the time, but ultimately left her disempowered by how she was treated, with an undercurrent of heavy emotions like guilt and shame. With the elation of her next pregnancy also came the echoes of her prior birth experiences. Toward the end of her pregnancy, her body began to show signs of burnout. Guided by an impactful energy work session, Lauren experienced a profound internal shift, renewing her connection with her inner self and baby as she embraced the final stages of her pregnancy. Lauren's second labor experience mirrored the first in some ways, yet this time, with a heart open and willingness to surrender, she embarked on a healing journey that led her to birth where her son knew she needed to be, at home. With unguarded authenticity, Lauren takes us on an emotional journey through vulnerability, growth, and redemption. Enjoy the episode. Lauren, welcome to Positive Birth Australia. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Could you just start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself? Okay. Uh, My name is Lauren. I live on the Gold Coast in Australia. I am a mum of two. I have a three and a half year old daughter and a nine month old son. Prior to 
having children, I was working as a full-time travel photographer and influencer, which was a pretty wild career. How cool. So you basically got paid to travel the world. Pretty much, yeah. I, I got into Instagram in the really early days of the platform and saw an opportunity to monetize it way back in 2013. So I quit my job to see if I could get some work in travel and the travel industry. And because I was a very early adopter, I actually have the claim to fame of being Australia's first professional Instagrammer. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> yeah, it was, it's pretty cool. I use that one any chance I can. Yeah, because, of course. On, it's a pretty cool, pretty cool title. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, I, was, I was working for brands. I was working for tourism boards. I was traveling everywhere flights a year crazy town I did that full-time for almost eight years before I decided yeah it's probably time to think about starting a family if that's going to be a part of the story so wow eight years that is such a long time so were, did you absolutely love it or was it exhausting uh, as well? look I'd have to say both. I absolutely loved it, but I was really exhausted. It was definitely time for a sea change in my life when I started to pull back. And in fact, before I did get pregnant, I had already started pulling back and assessing my career and my life and how can I still, you know, feel purposeful and passionate about my work Mm. without having to be on the road so much. So it was already a change I was undergoing. Mm. And so if that was your main career for eight years, then what did you steer into afterwards? Well, <laughs> well, I during well leading up to having my first baby, having my daughter, I decided to go all in on my events business. Okay. I had an event where we taught people how to get paid to travel the world. And that kind of escalated massively because obviously COVID was a few years ago. Mm. So I had my daughter one month before the pandemic was declared. So my business partners at the time and I, we took our business online. We had a virtual events business. We did programs. We did coaching. We did mindset. And that went absolutely gangbusters during, well, the last three years, really. And I uh, fell pregnant towards, it was at the beginning of last year. And I just decided this wasn't making me happy anymore. It had grown massively and it was doing amazing work. But life changes when you have children. So yeah. I made a decision to step back from the business and spent a lot of last year in an existential crisis, <laughs> questioning who I am and what I want to be with, what I want to do with my life, who I want to be when I grow up. <laughs> we all sort of go through that though, right? When you have that man into mother transition, it's like, what is my purpose? I actually went through it a little bit later. It took my second child for me to actually be like, okay, I need oh. to surrender to this a little bit. With my first, I just kept working, yeah, which okay. I regret. But um, yeah, and then I've just kind of naturally fallen into working in my husband's business in the last, I'd say six months or so. Mm-hmm. So we have a digital baby journal business that was my husband's passion project. Um, he started that back when our little girl was born and I was doing the physical baby baby journal and, you know, dragging it out every month to print out photos and stick them in and write about my daughter's milestones. And I found it so overwhelming. My husband's like a full-on entrepreneur. So he's like, there's got to be a solution on the market. <laughs> well, find Buddy designed a digital baby journal. <laughs> I love that. So tell us a little bit more about that. So it's all completely online. Yeah, it's all online. It's a web app. So it works like an app on your phone or you can use desktop if you like but you know most mums I think find it easier to work on your phone when you're in between parenting duties yeah dads dads can fill it out too uh it just has all the prompts it's got prompts it's got space for personal reflections it's got plenty of space for images you know I was a photographer I'm obviously very visual 
and you just do it all on your phone and at the end of the 12 months you can either print it out if you want or you can just keep it as a soft copy so you can have multiple copies keep them digital print them on your own printer do the fine art photo book just whatever so you've got this keepsake forever and rather than having to do the whole overwhelming dragging the journal out handwriting it scared you're going to lose it you can just do it all on your phone have multiple copies and it's just a real business yeah and I can't take any credit for that idea but I do I'm really passionate about the business so I'm really stoked to be able to work alongside him and his team and yeah be doing what we can to to get the journal out there yeah amazing fantastic idea I will link all of those details in the show notes for anyone listening but for now let's jump into your birth stories were your pregnancies planned conceptions Yes, both of them were. Well, actually, the first one was planned. The second one was kind of a spur of the moment. We should just have another one, and it happened very quickly. Oh, nice. <laughs> Can I quickly ask, were you with your husband during that eight years that you were travelling around the world? Yes. Yeah. We weren't married at the time, but, we yeah, we've been together for 14 years. I don't know how he put up with it, but <laughs> it worked. And we were living with my parents at the time. So I would leave him with my parents and just be like, okay, off to Finland now. See ya. <laughs> is that what an interesting story you guys have yeah it's not bad (laughs) so you've decided to stop traveling you're feeling ready to have a family take us through that whole decision process so I was I was getting to that time in a woman's life where you do have to make those decisions I was in my late 30s and I always knew that my husband wanted children and I was still sitting on the fence Um, I was kind of in a bit of a phase of personal development, to be honest, and it was having me question the meaning of life and my legacy and what is there for me if I don't have children and what is the next, you know, exciting move because I think having children, it just it just broadens you, it expands you so much. So I was kind of sitting on a lot of decisions and at the end of the day I just said, okay, let's just lean in and let's see what happens. Um, I was pretty clear that I didn't want to – become obsessed with trying to get pregnant I just wanted to see what would happen and you know I definitely now that I've had one I know why women are really they did they do get obsessed with becoming pregnant because you just want your babies so much but I was really really lucky that I decided to just go really casually forward and got pregnant quite quickly um, you know a few months into that journey uh, I did however uh, I was going to start trying earlier but I had an opportunity come up to go down to Antarctica and I was filling out the paperwork I had mentioned that I may be pregnant because I was going to start trying to be pregnant this is months out months before the trip and the uh the ship doctor came back and said they don't take you when you're pregnant even in your first trimester so I said sorry sorry (laughs) but uh we're just going to put a pin in this for now I'm going to go to Antarctica (laughs) I went off the pill literally on the first trip the first day of the Antarctica trip that's when I went off the pill amazing and then you fell pregnant pretty quickly yes and I fell pregnant in Zimbabwe which I think is worthy to note because my husband is Zimbabwean my husband's family are from Zimbabwe oh no way that's so cool yeah Dal and I actually got engaged over Vic Falls oh I love it over there I was over there running some tours and we had been to Victoria Falls that trip as well oh it's so beautiful isn't it yeah so we came back and I was just, it was the end of the second trip, actually. I'd done two tours, photography tours that I ran over there and uh, had seen my husband for the first time in a couple of weeks and one thing led to another and (laughs) (laughs) 
I got pregnant. Yeah. I had um, my three sisters-in-law, so my husband's three brothers' wives all had newborn babies at the time. So I was literally surrounded in babies and milk and estrogen and <laughs> it, it just happened. How could it yeah. not happen with those circumstances? Absolutely. It was inevitable. And did you intuitively know that you were pregnant? I... I did not really, but I knew that I was pregnant from the day that I missed my period, like straight up. Something was wrong. I was, it was like PMS times 10 million. Mm. I was so hungry, so tired and so angry. Mm. And I was in Canada at the time. My husband was with me. We'd gone on a holiday. Jeez, I was moving around a lot, wasn't I? <laughs> not a bad thing though. <laughs> we were having a holiday in Canada and I said like something's not right. This does not feel like normal PMS and so we went and got the pregnancy test and of course I was pregnant yeah. and I think from the moment that I found out I I really understood what all the fuss was about it's like all of these maternal instincts and you know the, the ticking clock and everything that I felt was really lacking for me the second I found out I was pregnant everything changed in a heartbeat I can't even explain it was very spiritual for me I sort of realized I felt a little bit of anxiety instantly like you know, I loved this baby so much already, this tiny, tiny little microscopic ball of cells. I loved it with every ounce of my being. And I was so scared that something would happen. And I just had this inner knowing really flood me. This is literally an hour after I did the test. And it was just that this would be okay. Everything would be okay. Everything was going to pan out for the best. And you know, what was meant to be would be. And that really, really soothed me throughout the pregnancy, especially when I had fears at certain times and anxieties at certain times. I just really leaned on that original feeling that I'd had that everything would be okay. And I just, I loved that baby. And I started being that that woman that just talks about pregnancy to everyone, the Uber driver, the taxi driver, the people at the hotel I was checking into, even when I was in my first trimester, I just could not stop telling everybody. I was so, so happy to be pregnant. Yeah. And how was your actual pregnancy experience? Pregnancy experience was pretty good. I was really sick in the first trimester. Uh, I didn't I wasn't throwing up, but I just had this awful nausea that would just last from the second I woke up in the morning until I went to bed. And that was awful. And you kind of like the memories do fade, don't they? But but when you sort of put yourself back into it, you're like, oh, yeah. And I was tired and I was traveling. I had quite a lot of commitments at the time. You know, I was speaking at events and I was here, there and everywhere. And I just had to drag my sorry ass out of bed. Mm every morning and just go and do whatever I had to do pregnant and just feeling really miserable and like how can you be on some incredible trip pregnant as well with the love of your life like so many good things happening in your life but ah do you know what I actually towards the end of that first trimester I was googling if I was depressed but um, apart from that no I'd I'd say after that first trimester hit uh, well after that first trimester was done I started to feel really really energized and in fact I would say I felt better than ever before pre-pregnancy and everything I had so much energy I felt so happy I felt so aligned everything just felt really really good Uh, it was a healthy pregnancy I did have a gestational diabetes diagnosis sort of late into the part but I was adamant that I did not have gestational diabetes uh, because I was practicing intermittent fasting at the time so I'd done a particularly long fast 
not saying that that's a good idea to do while you're pregnant. It just felt good for me at the time. Mm. Um, but I had done a really long fast when I did my gestational diabetes test. And I had asked the doctor if that would have impacted the results because I was really borderline. And I ended up having to go to the hospital and doing all the um, the finger prick testing for a week. And they said, you don't have diabetes. Like, <laughs> totally normal. Thankfully, because there's a whole lot of... Um, I guess, implications for birthing if you have that diagnosis. They don't want you in the water. They want uh, continuous monitoring, which is not really evidence-based. And, yeah, I was, I was really pleased to have that struck off the record, as it were. Uh, but apart from that, everything was really, yeah, healthy and normal during the pregnancy, and I just felt blooming. I was the classic blooming pregnant lady, mm -hmm. the one that everybody everybody's like, I wonder if I'll be that sort of ballooning, horrible, bloated, yeah. like, is <laughs> going to look good on me was yeah. my fear and I always thought I'd be one of these people that gets the swollen feet and wasn't I was just this beautiful glowing round happy pregnant lady Aww. and yeah I just I loved it I loved every minute of it I know that's not everybody's experience but, but that was definitely my experience the first time around yeah beautiful I loved pregnancy too so I can relate to that now, what was your perception of birth at that stage? Were there any fears associated with it? And also, what model of care did you choose? So, because I was traveling so much, I didn't really have many options with my care model. So, I did go for shared care with GP and hospital, uh, which means I didn't have any continuity of care except, obviously, with my GP when I saw him. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't know a lot about birth. Although I was fortunate that, you know, obviously spending a lot of time in Zimbabwe where natural birth is just the assumed thing, breastfeeding is the assumed thing. You know, I'd sort of seen how in a different country, I guess the culture is really different around birth. Uh, I did do a hypnobirthing uh, course with my husband. We had some private hypnobirthing because we couldn't do the classes because I was traveling so much. And that was very enlightening. Uh, I really loved my instructor. She was really, really passionate about helping women prepare for birth. So that was good. And I was I was just really, really clear that I wanted a really healthy, natural birth, but I was also willing to sort of, you know, surrender, classic word, surrender to whatever happened in my experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think, I think my headspace was pretty good leading up to the birth. Although, if anything, I was feeling like a little bit righteous and, you know, I didn't want any interfering that wasn't necessary because I'd, you know, I'd learned all about the system and the cascade of interventions and that had made me quite angry. And I was pretty clear that I didn't want that to happen to me. And, you know, obviously intervention or induction starts getting mentioned pretty early on in the piece, especially if you're an older mother or you've had something like gestational diabetes on your record. So I, I already had the hospital sort of pushing from about 38 weeks that they wanted to induce me, and I was just a hard no to that. So, yeah, I kind of went in with a little bit of healthy, I think healthy, like, anger, yeah. like, please leave me alone, but also, like, willing if anything was wrong with my baby or if I felt intuitively that something was wrong, that I would be willing to sort of surrender and back down and, and do what needed to be done to get my baby safely here. Yeah. 
And so let's jump to the end of your pregnancy. How far along were you when you felt those first niggles of labor starting? I was really lucky with my daughter, Markia. Um, I went into labor at 39 plus five. So two days before my due date, (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I went into labor overnight and it just started really, really slowly and naturally. I was able to sleep through a lot of those really early contractions and I woke up and it was like, oh, I think I'm in labor. You know, you don't want to call it too early, but it just kept sort of picking up throughout the day. And I did what they tell you not to do, which is I got really, really busy and excited. And I started cooking and doing work and texting everybody. And like, I was just so excited throughout that day. So I'd had a pretty bad sleep the night before. You know, I I was able to sleep through a lot of the contractions, but not all of them. And I was excited. And then just a really busy day. And I would say... By about mid to late afternoon, the contractions were starting to pick up a little bit in intensity. Mm-hmm. I made the decision to go into hospital that night at about, I don't know, it would have been 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock maybe. Uh, they do say wait as long as possible. But it's just so hard to know because you've got what it feels like. It's a first for everything. So I made the classic mistake there as well. I did go in too early. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't want to have any vaginal examinations. So the midwife that was on duty sent me home uh, because she didn't know how far along I was. And at that stage, I was pretty lucky. My doula decided to come back home with me and I lost my waters actually in the taxi on the way home. (laughs) Did they make you pay for that? Well, do you know what? It had been raining, so we were all quite wet, and I was wearing this really massive spell hippie floaty skirt. It was huge, and it caught everything. Oh, perfect. Well, and that wasn't all of it, obviously, but what I did lose, I sort of mopped it up with my skirt. Yeah. That's such a terrible story, isn't it? Oh, my God. I mean, look, it's birth, right? (laughs) It is. Anything can happen, I learned. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So we got home. My husband and I, awful, awful, uncomfortable cab ride. Like, I don't know, most people listening have probably or will experience being in labor in a car, and it is just not fun. Mm. So I got home and had the doula here, had Steph here my husband we had the birth ball and I just labored for hours I think I did a solid six hours at home after we came back from the hospital and all kinds of stuff was coming out of me you know my waters and my mucus plug and it was gory and I was scared and I was tired and I don't know at about two or three in the morning my doula said she thought I was transitioning because I was starting to cry and say it's too hard and I didn't want to do it anymore. And so she said, okay, let's get you over to the hospital. So we all went over again. We were admitted. I still wasn't having any internals at this stage, Uh, but they did let me go into the birth pool and labor and they left me pretty undisturbed, which was lovely. Uh, After a couple of hours, I did say yes to an exam and I didn't want to know what the number was. So they just let me go back in the bath and I kept laboring and After a couple of hours again, I had a new midwife come on. She measured me again and everything stopped from there. You know, this beautiful hypnobirthing and the affirmations. I had the fairy lights. I had the essential oil blends. I had the music, the hypnobirthing playlist going. Like everything was just how I wanted it. And then I had this second vaginal examination and I was three centimetres. And the midwife was like, and I'd been in labour for, at this point, 32 hours no 36 hours 36 hours and I was three centimeters so I 
I don't really know what happened. I don't know if the first midwife mismeasured me. I later found out that she'd measured me at eight centimetres. I don't know if I had cervical recoil, which is something that midwives talk about, but it's not really widely accepted. Um, That's where you close up again when you feel unsafe. Can I ask whether or not that was confirmed by another person that you were only three centimetres? No, no, it was just the once off. Okay. Yeah. But I think I was three centimetres. Yeah. My instinct is that I closed because I'd been in labour for so long and I remember a really distinct turning point when I was in the water where I started to worry that it was taking too long. I was that Steph, my doula, had been with me for too long. I was worried my birth photographer, Laura, was there as well. She had a newborn. Yeah, okay. So you weren't really in that primal part of your brain where your instincts kind of take over. You were very much aware of your surroundings, which I guess, you know, that can trick your body into thinking it's not safe. Yeah, I I think so. I think so. Who knows? I could have just been three centimetres the whole time. And I don't know, it's just there's so many unknowns around it. And, and I later found out in my second birth experience, which I'm sure we'll talk about. That's the fun one. Um, you know, things can change really, really quickly. Mm. So this time around, yeah, that's that's sort of when things started going awry for me. And and I understood. I mean, when, when I was told I was three centimetres and we had this little weird meeting, like me naked, surrounded by all of these people, doula, birth photographer, husband, midwife, student midwife, obstetrician, you know, obstetrician, student obstetrician, like I had so many people in the room. And, you know, it was basically like, what do you want to do? Do you want to go home and keep labouring at home? Not really recommended because you've lost your waters and you've had examinations. There could be a risk of infection. Uh, Do you want to, do you want interventions? Do you want painkillers? And a few different options were put on the table. And at that point, I decided to take an epidural, which I felt really ashamed about, to be honest. I really felt like I was choosing the easy way out and I was copying out. I was very, very hard on myself because I was so clear that I didn't want that option when I was leading up and preparing for the birth. Yeah, but I mean, you would have been so exhausted by that Yeah, point. I had nothing in the tank. I had yeah. absolutely nothing in the tank. So I thought, I'm just going to do it because I'm going to get through this without some relief. And it wasn't even the pain. It was the tiredness that hurt me. Yeah. The pain was still, I don't know, it was still really manageable. I think because it was my first labour and it had built so gradually, everyone was just a little bit worse than the last one, just a tiny, tiny bit. And I was managing it. I was breathing. It didn't feel it didn't feel too much for me, but I was tired and exhausted. And, you know, I've I've got obviously I had a birth photographer there. I've got my pictures and I've got my birth video. And you can just really see that point in time when I just I lost I lost it. I didn't have it anymore. So I agreed to have the epidural and I slept for like oh, four or five hours after that. And I was really happy with that decision at that point in time. I was yeah. like, yeah, I really needed this. And I woke up. They they put the syntocinin in basically without telling me. I think it was sort of mentioned as an aside. I obviously just wanted the epidural, like, please don't give me anything else. And I later found out that epidurals slow down labor and they always or generally always give the syntocinin um at the same time the epidural and then of course you have the continuous monitoring and you're flat on your back and yeah it wasn't an ideal situation but I was I was definitely in that okay this is just how it's gone down sort of surrender mindset at that time and had the sleep woke up 
And when I woke up, my beautiful, I really liked my midwife um, and she was just assigned to me. Obviously, I didn't have continuity of care, just the hospital midwife. Her name was Abby. She was lovely. And I really felt like she was advocating for me. But when I woke up, it was pretty much all systems go as far as, you know, you've been here for long enough. Now it's time to get this show on the road. And I really, really felt that energy. And I, I also strongly, strongly felt that my baby was okay. All of the fetal monitoring was coming up. The baby was not distressed. Uh, the obstetrician was there. She wanted to give me a forceps delivery. I wanted to push. And the hospital gave me three contractions. That's my memory. It might have been more, might have been one, one less or one more. But my memory is that I was given three contractions to try and push. And after three contractions, they're like, right, we need forceps. And I really didn't want the forceps and I'd read that vacuum was a little bit less invasive. So I asked for vacuum first. The vacuum didn't work. I asked that I didn't want an episiotomy. They said that they had to give me an episiotomy if I was having a forceps delivery. And I said, can you please, you know, the, the baby's not in any distress. What's the hurry? So then they asked if they could check the baby. Um, I think the cortisol levels, they do a little needle prick on the baby's head and check the cortisol levels. And the baby was not in distress at all. No, you know, the stress levels were not elevated. And still that did not buy me any time. And before I knew it, you know, the obstetrician had just said, what did she, I can't remember her exact words, but the gist of it was, if it were me, I would be having this baby right now. You're risking your baby's life was basically Gosh. the energy in the room. And of course, like you've come this far, you don't want to risk your baby's life. Like, holy shit, that's hectic. So I agreed. And I lay there while they put the forceps in and they pulled my little, my little girl out. Take your time. Was she Okay. She was okay. She um she was bruised and bleeding, obviously. Um, and I felt really sad about that. Yeah. Uh, the worst thing was that the bruising exacerbated her jaundice. And because she was so jaundiced, she couldn't feed. Um, she was below the treatment line, but she couldn't latch. She couldn't feed. She didn't have any energy. And we had to be admitted into the special care nursery. And I had to learn how to pump. And, you know, that was the most stressful tiring emotional night of my life being woken up every three hours and trying to latch my poor little listless baby and having to get the pump out and pump and yeah that was that was pretty tough and I, I really strongly feel that that was a result of of the bruising that had come from the interventions so I felt yeah I felt really guilty for that for her and of course seeing those marks on her face and seeing that bruising and, you know, the, the, the blood and the bruising and that loose flap of skin on her head from the vacuum, I just, I felt awful. Mm. It was a really tough start to parenthood when all of that happened. And I really felt like I could have pushed her out. You know, if they had have just given me the time, yeah. you know, you can't feel a lot when you've got an epidural, but you can feel enough. Yeah. She wasn't in distress. She would have come out if they had have just given me that little bit of time. But, yeah. 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 I'm so sorry that happened to you and your baby. Thank you. How were you feeling after that experience? And is there anything that helped you to process everything that had happened that you could potentially share with women listening? Oh, I definitely felt like, you know, in the in the initial weeks, I didn't really understand the impact of what had happened to me. Yeah. I pushed it to the side, like, you know, I've got a healthy baby. And I did mention it to a couple of people that I felt really 
awful what had happened to me and you know they came back with oh you should just be grateful that we have the amazing (laughs) medical services that we have and you've got a healthy baby and I felt quite dismissed by that the thing that got me through it was definitely bonding with my baby and having a supportive husband and getting out like oh I can't even stress this enough to new mothers get out of the house get out for some sun get out for some fresh air I went out for sunset I would say every single sunset, every single afternoon for at least the first few months, I dragged my sorry ass out of, <laughs> out of bed or wherever I was, yeah. got out to the, to the broad water, which is close to where I live, and, you know, had my little girl and caught the sunset. And, yeah, that was really, really lovely. And, of course, you know, work was quite busy at the time, and, and I did go back to work quite quickly. We, You know, I'm really lucky my husband wasn't working at the time. He was just dreaming up Marky of the Baby Journal, actually. Oh, cool. So he was sort of the stay-at-home parent, and I was working from home. So we had really, really flexible working conditions. But I definitely would have used work as a bit of a distraction to not have to think about, you know, the shame that I felt and the guilt that I felt around that birth experience. And, of course, I had my healthy baby and – I, I loved her. I, I was really lucky. I, I didn't get any postnatal depression. Um, I could sort of feel it on the periphery. You know, I could definitely feel days where things felt quite heavy and quite overwhelming and quite challenging. But I, yeah, I was just lucky. The circumstances around me were were really positive. Again, like living at home with my parents and having my husband there and working from home and him not working. I had a lot of support around me. So, yeah, definitely that helped. And I, I didn't really start to articulate or even know in my own mind how much that had impacted me, that birth experience, until it was becoming time to, you know, I I was thinking about having another baby and then I fell pregnant and all of that stuff started to rise up again for me. Yeah, okay. Okay, so take us to that very moment where you realised, okay, i got a little bit of stuff that i got to work on before (laughs) I enter this next birth experience. Um, So... I think I knew. I think the stuff was always kind of there. Yeah. I didn't think I needed to work on it until I was pregnant again. But getting pregnant the second time, uh, somebody very close to me actually had a miscarriage. Okay. And that was really sad for me. She was She's somebody that is quite close to me. And I felt really, really, really devastated for her. She was 13 weeks. She really wanted the baby. And I felt, you know, I think there's even – a small element of feeling guilty when you've had a healthy pregnancy or or not suffered from a miscarriage or anything like that. You feel guilty for all the women and all of the stories that you hear. And it's almost like, yeah, a door opens once you're pregnant and everybody starts telling you all these stories about miscarriages or just things that have happened to them in pregnancy and you hear everything. It's like all of a sudden you're a part of the club and, and people – people open up to you. So I'd already sort of felt with Markia, like I was so, so lucky to get pregnant so easily, especially at my age and to have this relatively easy pregnancy, this beautiful pregnancy and have, you know, I still had a vaginal birth and had a healthy baby at the end of it. So yeah, when my friend told me that this, this miscarriage had happened, I just, I felt really, really, really affected by it for her. And I just thought like, it's such a precious and beautiful gift to have children. And I'd been waiting, you know, my husband and I had talked about would we have another one and when the right time was. And I was 41 at this point. And I just said, what are we waiting for? You know, if we're lucky enough to get pregnant again, let's just go for it. Literally 
two days later, I knew I was ovulating because I'd been, I wasn't using any contraception. I was just abstaining while I was ovulating. And we did the deed and I fell pregnant on that first cycle. Wow, look at you go. Oh, I don't know if it's my husband, the Zimbabwean strong yeah. Zimbabwe. I don't know. But yeah, that's, that's what happened. And, you know, that was, it was actually quite challenging for me to, to tell my friend that that had happened as well. Yeah. But she, you know, she's amazing and she was so, so happy for me. And I won't mention her by name because she hasn't made this story public. But we are still very close. And, you know, she was amazing right through my pregnancy and she's so close to my children. But I, yeah, I was pregnant again and I was working and my business was going amazingly well. And I sort of still had this realisation that my life was changing and it wasn't just one kid anymore. I was, you know, it was a family. I was starting a family. And I didn't think that I would have the headspace to do all of that and do it the way that I wanted to do it and still keep running a business at the level that I was running it at. And I was at this point the managing director of the company. We had four entities. We had 12 staff. We had a seven-figure turnover, like, things had gotten serious. Mm -hmm. Things had gotten really serious during the pandemic. And I've gone from being this really creative person, this free spirit, traveling the world, like going with the flow, doing all these amazing things, and a photographer, you know, a very visual creative person to literally sitting at my desk every day and overseeing teams and writing systems and working in Asana. And yeah, just, it wasn't, I, I could see the, I could see the light at the end of the tunnel where I would be able to appoint somebody into that position and go back to being the, you know, in the creative role, but it just, it wasn't happening quickly enough and it was so much work and it was still a really new business. And I just, yeah, I didn't want it anymore. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't the vehicle anymore, the vehicle, my purpose and my passion. So, and the girls, you know, we all ultimately came to an agreement. We all had our own reasons and that was all really amicable, which I'm very grateful for. But when the and it, and it happened quite quickly from when we made the decision, we still had a fair bit of work to see through for a number of months. But by the time I was about to give birth, I had no commitments, which was amazing. And probably for the first time in my life, to be honest, I really just scaled back so much of my work and life commitments so that it was just like, okay, I'm ready. I'm really ready to step into this role of mother now. And give myself the permission to do that without all of the pressure I put on myself the first time around to also be the provider and also be, oh, just everything. You know, I I had quite a masculine role in the family at the time. And this time I really, really strongly felt a strong, strong pull to the feminine. I just wanted to be looked after. I wanted to be nurtured. I wanted to receive. I just wanted to be the mother. And I made decisions that allowed me to be. And that was a really beautiful time. Um, I did have I did have like horrible morning sickness again. Like I had the same first trimester as I had with Mark here. And as soon as that nausea started hitting, I was like, oh, God, why did I do this again? <laughs> <laughs> and it feels like when you're in it, it feels like it will never end. Oh, it? Absolutely. I only had it for six weeks, but my gosh, that was a long six weeks. That's a long time. Yeah. yeah, it was eight weeks for me, eight weeks with Mark here, oh. nine nine weeks with Will. I counted. And did you just wake up one day and it was gone? So, yes, with Mark here. With Will, I actually went to the doctor and I got some anti-nausea tablets, yeah. um, you know, pregnancy-safe ones. And 
I think I took two. They were the one a day ones. I took two, and on the third day, I didn't feel nauseous. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Whatever works. So hey. I sort of reached that. Yeah, I just reached that point of no return. Like I can't handle any more of this. Yeah, and toddler in tow as well. Yeah, yeah. It's you know? it's hard. It's hard. Yeah, it was a very different story. But I didn't have all the travel at least, which was good. I was at home. Mm, so true. <laughs> and how was the rest of your pregnancy? Uh, rest of the pregnancy was pretty good. I was really, really lucky this time around. I did have continuity of care. I got into the midwifery group practice and the midwife that I was assigned, Pip, was also the midwife of my best friend here on the Gold Coast and she had delivered my daughter's best friend, Aurora. So my daughter and her little best friend, uh, they were both born on the same day in the same hospital and that's how I met her mother. Beautiful. Yes. We, so, the, so I had Pip. She was Emmanuel's midwife as well. I was really, really happy to have her and she's just amazing and just really, really so nurturing, such a breath of fresh air. She just really, really cares about her women and, and their outcomes. And we were talking from a very early stage about birth and what I was carrying forward from my previous birth. And yeah, I just felt like she really had my back. She was really in my corner. Um, we did have the hospital at some point, I think in the second trimester, they wanted me to take uh, aspirin for no reason whatsoever. I think it's an age thing. I don't know. And they want me to take um, thyroxin, even though my thyroid levels were within the range of normal, on the lower end, but within the range of normal. And that was a real turning point for me because I really strongly felt that I didn't need either of those things. Mm. And the first time around, I just I just took everything and did everything they told me to do without even thinking about it. It was just like, yep, they're the experts. They know best. Mm. And then after that birth experience, I was like, you know what? I know best. I know my body. I know how I feel. I'm really in tune with myself. I know my baby. And I'm not going to take the aspirin or the thyroxin. Sorry, guys. And that, yeah, that was like, that was very, very empowering for me. And I think if I had have made a decision, a different decision early on at that stage, things might have worked out differently towards the end. But because I already felt powerful and I already felt like I was making my own decisions and trusting myself and I felt like I had somebody strongly in my corner with my midwife Pip mm. yeah that, that really set me up from an early stage yeah okay definitely and so take us through the process of you getting mentally ready for this birth experience yeah so I I remember getting into my last trimester and realizing mm. wow there's still a lot of stuff to do and I made a big list of all the stuff that had to be done. And, you know, I wanted to get the maternity photos and we had to dig all of our baby clothes out of storage. And there was just, I had a really long list and I sat my husband down and I'm like, all these things need to happen in the next six weeks. And we started plotting it all into the calendar and wow, what happened next? It was just, I just remember feeling stressed mm. and feeling rushed. And one of the things on that list was like process trauma from first <laughs> birth. Very important. It's a list item. Yeah. So the time came where I was like, okay, so I've got to cross that off the list. And I remember just getting some paper and a pen and just, I didn't even have much time and I had my daughter with me, but I just wrote out how angry I felt. And I was, you know, swearing and just using every word that came into my head to describe how fucking angry I was with the system yeah all out with pen and paper and then I took my daughter over to the beach and it was it was almost dusk the sun was setting and I wanted to burn it at the beach and it was really windy and I couldn't get the friggin light up light the pages on fire so I ended up digging a hole and then the sand was going in my daughter's eyes it was a disaster <laughs> I did 
managed to light the paper on fire after about half an hour of trying and I was so frustrated and I was watching it burn and it was way less satisfying than I thought it would be. I think because I hadn't, you know, I'd given myself a little bit of space, but I hadn't really sat, you know, I hadn't really, really sat with it and just let it land for me. It was just like, yep, tick this off the list. Yeah. I thought that I'd dealt with it. I hadn't dealt with it. You know, spoiler alert, I hadn't dealt with it at all. And, you know, at this point, my due date was sort of fast approaching and I went and did my maternity shoot and I was quite pregnant at the time. I think I was 39, 38 or 39 weeks. And it was a really cold morning. We went out for sunrise at the beach and, you know, we're rolling around in the wet sand doing all those beautiful, (laughs) beautiful mother in the sand sunrise baby shots. And I got really sick after that. I um I caught a terrible cold or flu. I don't even know what it was, but I just I'd pushed it too much. You know this to do list and this stress and all the stuff I was working on and just trying to get done and you know the it was nesting taken to the next level. And when I got sick, it really really floored me, and I kept trying to push through and there was still stuff to be done. And my midwife was like, Lauren, you have to stop. She's like, there's. Number one, you have to stop. Number two, you have to work through whatever is happening for you emotionally that is probably at least contributing, if not the underlying cause of what's happened. She was quite intuitive in that way, Pip. So I ended up reaching out to a healer of mine. Um, She's somebody that I met at an event that I attended that year. And she's, it's almost like Reiki. I don't know if people listening have ever done energy healing or if you've done any energy healing, but it's all muscle testing and clearing. Yeah. And she's also very intuitive. She she works with nonverbal children and in utero children. Oh, interesting. So, yeah, it's, it's really, it's it's pretty woo-woo. It's pretty, yeah, it's pretty out I there. I a bit of woo-woo. I had a session with her and we, you know, I talked about all of the things that I was concerned about at the time and I had my baby shower coming up as well and I was so sick and I was worried that I'd be too sick to have a healthy birth and I didn't have any energy, you know, I had no energy at all. I even, God, I'm just remembering this, I even went and had my braces removed when I was that sick and I remember sitting down, I was crying in the car because I was so sick and I had no energy and I wouldn't let anyone help me. And I get into the, the orthodontist and I said, I can't breathe through my nose at all. <laughs> and I can't lean back and I'm like 39 weeks pregnant. And the lady's just looking at me like, why are you even here? And I'm like, want my fucking braces up, all right? I want, I want my braces up before I have a baby. <laughs> oh, hilarious. Oh, it's been so hard on myself. Anyway, skipping back to the, to the <laughs> session, um, Jenny started to communicate with my baby. And she was saying, you know, he's really confused, or not he, I didn't know the sex at the time, you know, baby's really confused about this and baby doesn't know what this means and baby's feeling that you don't understand what's going on with this and you've got uncertainty around that. And she started muscle testing and clearing and clearing and clearing. And after she'd finished the session with me, I felt so calm. I was literally in parasympathetic nervous system. I was absolutely calm grounded emotionally spent you know I'd cried my eyes out during the session because I just had so much going on and I was holding on to so much emotion and she said if you can try and have a sleep so I, I literally just closed my eyes and I fell asleep on the couch for half an hour and I woke up and I wasn't sick anymore wow <laughs> and I'd been sick for three weeks like That's so I'd, wild. Sick. I'd, I'd been to the doctor I was on every asthma medication under the sun I was using this I was so I was on steroids like I'd been so sick 
and my baby showers the next day and I was completely well. How amazing is that? Energy holds incredible power, right? Yet it is often, I guess, overlooked or underestimated. Absolutely. So I did the baby shower and that was lovely. And my due date was fast approaching. And I just had this really strong feeling that I wasn't going to go on my due date, which as as we know, the due date is just an arbitrary guess in the middle of what is a long due period. Yeah. Um, I was, yeah, I was 39 weeks roughly when that all happened, when I, that all went down. And I, I just felt like baby was really going to give me a chance to get my shit together again. And I did. I spent the next couple of weeks like really, really deeply nourishing myself and really honoring myself and my energy and everything that I should have done the whole pregnancy, both pregnancies. Like when Marky was little, like all of the stuff that I should have done to really look after myself, I was just like, okay, I'm listening now. Like I'm listening. You've got me. I was, you know, waking up and taking my supplements every morning. I was taking this beautiful probiotic that was like $100 for a packet of 24 sachets. Like I was making this beautiful nourishing warm veggie broth and drinking that on the balcony overlooking the ocean every morning like I was just like I was like in it I was so in my mother's zone at that stage and I had that for about two weeks and I I really restored my strength I felt a million dollars by the time you know due date or birthday was coming around hospital was obviously calling and wanting to induce that had started I don't know 38 weeks or somewhere around there Um, I ended up going to 41 weeks and the day before I went into labor I knew I knew it was coming and I actually woke up and I had a big burst of energy and I started cooking I got in the kitchen and I made a big batch of potato salad I made a huge picnic I made egg and lettuce sandwiches and all these delicious treats so that we could take them out to the park and have a big picnic and we did. We went out, my daughter and my husband and I, we had a huge picnic and we pigged out and we had heaps of sunlight and fresh air and we got home and I said to my husband, you know, you'll have to look after Marquia's dinner. I really feel like, you know, I had a very specific meal that I felt like eating and it was a spaghetti with an olive oil sauce and broccoli and I just, I cooked myself the biggest bowl of spaghetti you've ever seen loaded with broccoli and garlic and lemon and olive oil and chili and I just sat there and ate the whole bowl and then I went to bed really happy and I I said to Emmanuel that night I think it's happening soon so I was I was carb loading yeah so true (laughs) and I went into labor that night Mm. so it happened the same as the, the first time around it was just all calm and gradual and I was sort of sleeping through the contractions they were pretty gentle um, woke up quite early around five ish, yeah, five ish, I think it was. I told my husband that it was on. Um, my daughter was supposed to be going to daycare that day, so I said, you know, can you get her ready? And you know, I'll I'll just stay here and wait for you, and then we'll see we'll see how I'm going. And he left home at about eight o'clock in the morning, and things really picked up. Like things were a lot more intense the second time around, I would say. Uh, Things were more painful. I know we're not supposed to use the P word when we talk about birth, but I actually think that's a bit of bullshit. I think, no, like it's painful. Yeah, and everyone's experience is different. Some people say it's intense pressure. Others say it is like ridiculous pain. I found it very, I found it very painful. (laughs) (laughs) But here's the thing. I... There, there was two pieces of, you know, everybody gives you advice, you know, of course, when you're pregnant and you take the stuff that resonates with you and you leave the rest. And that's really, really important. 
and I'd received so much and I was I really really wanted the natural birth this time I just I wanted it so badly and two of the pieces of advice that I'd been given one was from my birth photographer and hired the same photographer as the first time around Laura and she's been to a lot of births and she said the thing that she thinks sets women apart who have a a positive outcome compared to the people you know to the women that end up having a lot of interventions or like you know emergency cesareans she said the thing that sets them apart is that they just completely surrender and they just become animals basically they just let their body do what they do completely out of their heads get out of their head so i was had that i had that in my mind but the second thing was something that i'd read in uh in a maze guide to natural childbirth which i think think is the bible for any looking for a natural childbirth and it was that for all women there comes a point in time in your labor where you realize that there's only one person that can get you out of this and it's you mm-hmm. like you're just you're you're in it you're on the train and that just kept coming into my mind actually and you know the the accompanying part to that was that um somewhere in the book as well it had said choose your pain you know, you can choose to have the the pain of a natural labor if you interpret it or frame it as pain, which I definitely, definitely did. You can choose to have your pain, you know, front end the pain, if you if you will, and have the pain of a natural labor. But knowing that it's like a really natural, physiological pain, it's 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 a healthy pain that's that's getting your baby closer to you. You can have the pain of interventions, which for me, the first time around, I'd had the episiotomy, I'd had the forceps, I'd had all the emotional pain and mental pain and the shame and the guilt. I'd had a catheter as well. I didn't even mention this in the original, you know, when I was talking about Marcia's birth story, but I ended up having bladder problems from the catheter and I was diagnosed with an overactive bladder and I had to go through a whole bunch of stuff to get over that. And so it was painful. Like it was really, really painful for me after I had my daughter. And so that really resonated with me. Like I'm like, I can do this because I don't want to do all of that. I did not want to go and, oh, my God, the episiotomy, like, that stings. That is not fun afterwards for healing. Yeah. And there's a few little things that were sort of resonating in my mind and everything else was just, like, useless yeah. because <laughs> the contractions were happening. And I ended up, I was in my head and I was like, I can't do this. And in my head I was like, take me to the hospital and give me every epidural you have. <laughs> give them all right now. And in this very, very brief moment of lucidity, I remember messaging my healer, Jenny, the one that had done that work on me, and saying, I can't even remember what the text was, something about, you know, I'm, I'm in a lot of pain and I'm not handling the pain. And then I, I called my midwife and she'd been off for four days. She was just coming back into rotation and she was like, I'm going to come over. She's like, I've just come back into the office. You know, I've got one stop to do and then I'm just going to call in and see how you're tracking, okay? And my day is for you. You know, I'm, I'm all for you today. So so don't even worry about it. I'll be there soon. So my husband came home and I threw my phone at him and said, text Jenny. <laughs> he is trying to help me and he says, do you want to get in the shower? I'm, I was really feeling it at, at the time and it was, it was only about 9.30 in the morning at this point. Um he got some plastic bags and he covered one of our dining chairs. He's like meticulously wrapping this masking tape around this plastic to tape one of the chairs so he could take it into the shower. <laughs> and he, he brings it into the shower. I can just remember standing there looking at him and I was, I was so angry at him. <laughs> I don't know if anyone else goes through this. And he was taking forever and you could just hear the sound of the masking tape, like yeah, <laughs> going around the chair legs. And I'm like, hurry the fuck up. Anyway, he gets the chair taped up. He puts it in the shower. I should have been very grateful. Yes, I acknowledge that. 
He puts the chair in the shower. I try to sit down and I can't sit down because I'm having posterior labor. Mm. So my baby was facing the, the, the other way. I had the um, interior placenta. So baby's facing the, the wrong way. Well, not did the, you know that bub was posterior? I did, yeah, I did. I, I knew because, you know, obviously all of the scans and I'd had that with my first birth as well and I had the anterior placenta both times around and I'd had the back labour with Mark here. So I, I knew and I'd been doing my exercises but I was also pretty sure that baby hadn't turned and that it's, it's considered more painful to have a posterior, you know, to have a back labour and I was definitely feeling it all in my back my back my butt like I was really really feeling it so I couldn't sit down at all so I come out and I'm sort of pacing up and down and Emmanuel starts messaging with Jenny and she starts doing a few remote uh, remote clearings and she's giving him instructions mainly just to take my mind off things and she's saying stretch your arms up in the air so I'm pacing up the hallway holding on to door frames for contractions and I'm breathing and I, I can't even tell you, but there was this moment where I went from take me to the hospital and give me every epidural you have to no, I'm doing this like that. Wow. Amazing. <laughs> so at this point I am leaning over the kitchen counter. I'm not wearing any clothes. I have Emmanuel on the other side of the bench messaging Jenny and reminding me to breathe, you know, breathe into your belly, breathe into your belly. Jenny's frantically doing whatever freaky Jenny stuff she does. And at some point Jenny says, all right, they're, they're in sync. And she later sort of explained to me that my baby was resisting the pull of the uterus and there was some tribal stuff going on and these thoughts and confusion oh, wow. and, oh, it was so crazy. I have the full transcription of that conversation. It's It gives me shivers to read it. It was wild. Yeah. But at some point she said, baby and, and mum are in sync. And I felt it. Like it went from, it was just as painful, but the pain felt like it was going somewhere. I don't know if that makes sense. Definitely. felt like I was resisting initially and there was still like a lot of mind and resistance to the pain to, okay, no, we've got this, and leaning into the pain. So at this point my midwife walks in (laughs) and she's like – she laid a joke to like everybody she knew. She's like, never trust a woman butt naked leaning over a kitchen bench. (laughs) (laughs) So she walks in. And she she watched three contractions. She's, you know, are you okay? She's right there. She's got me. She watched three contractions. And at the end of the third contraction, she said, look, um, I should get you over to the hospital. I should advise you that that's the best course of action for us to get you over to the hospital. But if you don't feel like you're up for it, I'm also happy to stay here. What do you want to do? And I said, I want to stay here. And she said, do you feel like pushing right now? And I'm like literally wean on the floor oh. <laughs> with the pressure. And I'm like, I think I'm pushing. I think I'm pushing. <laughs> so she takes me over to the, the lounge, um, the lounge room, so sort of all open plan. And I kneel down. She did one quick vaginal examination. She's like, yep, you're good to go. Start pushing. Um, it did take me, it took me an hour and 45 minutes of pushing. Um, probably because baby was posterior and it took him some time to turn and because I hadn't had that experience the first time around. And, you know, a lot of women say that the pushing phase, they they either prefer the pushing or they prefer the labour. But for me, I hated all of it. It was, like, really intense. Yeah. Uh, at some point, the paramedics did come. Um, you know, Pip being MGP is obliged to 
you know, make sure that there's backup there. So she did call the the ambulance to come in. They didn't do anything. They just stood back and let Pip do what she does. And my birth photographer, Laura, was on annual leave. So she had sorted out a, a backup photographer for me. And the backup photographer wasn't available. And when by the time Emmanuel, my husband, decided, oh, shit, you know, the birth photographer, he called or he messaged Laura and she got a backup, backup photographer. And she got there, I think, 30 minutes before I had the baby. Oh, wow. <laughs> I've never met her before, never seen her pictures. like, And she was miles away. She said usually in that traffic she would have she would have missed it, basically. Mm-hmm. But she got every green light. She just got there. <laughs> so... So I'm in the lounge room. I'm on, you know, I'm on our new, we had a brand new rug as well, which was also another really random thing because the lounge room used to be really, I don't know, like a bit cold and sterile. And then we had this beautiful new rug and it was so nice under my knees. And I'm sort of just leaning on the rug, leaning over the sofa, pushing and pushing and pips there. And she's giving me sips of coconut water between my contractions. And, and I had the baby, I had a boy and he was caught by daddy but immediately went under the legs to me and that feeling that feeling when they hand you or my husband handed me my baby and I lifted him myself to my breast and the pain instantly instantly disappeared and my body was just absolutely amped with adrenaline and oxytocin like I I literally until the end of my days I will remember that feeling and nothing to take that away from me, that power, and it, I will take that power and the way that I felt into the rest of my life and everything that I do because it is the most powerful I've ever felt in my life as a woman, as a person, and I had my little boy. And I and that's when I saw his sex as well. I didn't know his sex, and I said, it's a boy. He's a boy. Mm. <laughs> and I, just, I felt like it had been such a journey to bring him outside, and it was everything I needed it to be. It was so healing, just so healing. Mm. And I love so much that he knew you needed to give birth at home. Yes, you know? yes. My, my midwife, Pip, said that as well. She said but he didn't want to go to the hospital. Yeah, 100%. Oh. So take us through the moments afterwards. Your afterbirth, you were obviously on, you know, this euphoric high. Oh, that high lasted two days. Like yeah. I barely slept the next night because I was just so fired up. I was mm. – I think I still had quite a lot of adrenaline coursing through my vein. Yeah. I I had heaps of, you know, skin to skin time obviously. Um we had a physiological birth of the placenta, we had delayed cord clamping, everything that I'd sort of hoped I would have during my first birth experience. Uh, I didn't feel like pushing when Pip said, come on, you know, are you feeling any urge to push the placenta? And I was like, nah. And she's like, you know, give a little push and I'm like, I don't want to push anymore. <laughs> But I did, and the placenta came out just fine. Um, the, you know, the uh, paramedics were stoked. Obviously, they hadn't had to do anything. Um, Pip did say, "Look, you don't have to come to the hospital. Uh, it makes my life easier if you do. You know, my my bosses will be happy if you come in, and and we, you know, cross all the T's and dot the I's." So I said, "Yeah, all right, let's do that." And there was no hurry. Uh, as soon as I felt ready, I got up and Pip put a dressing gown on me and I went out to the stretcher. I was living in an apartment at the time, so the stretcher was just out in the the hallway. I got on the stretcher and I went in the ambulance, which was a bit of a novelty uh, with my husband. We got transported over to the hospital and I did, unfortunately, I did have to have a catheter again because uh, there was just a little bit of stitching that I think in hindsight, in hindsight I would have said no to. 
you know, if I knew a little bit more, I would have just said, no, let it heal naturally. But of course, you know, when you're in that environment and you're vulnerable, they're like, it's really serious and it should be stitched and you need the catheter. And I did ask for a second opinion and I did ask Pip and she's like, yeah, you should probably have that stitched. So I did get that stitched and I did have the catheter and I did have the overnight stay again. Um, but it just, it felt completely different the second time around. Obviously I felt like, yeah, I felt a lot more empowered and I felt like it was all my choice. And when I got home, I really committed to the postpartum period, which I didn't do with Markia. Um, I committed to lounging around, doing nothing, asking for help, eating all the food that I'd put in the freezer, having lovely warm meals, wearing socks, staying warm. I barely left the apartment for that first month and, just bonded with my with my little man and yeah I, I really really loved that I loved that I did that for myself as well and I really wished that I had done that the first time around and I see a lot of mothers out with their little newborns and I wanted to be that mum the first time around I thought it was you know something to be proud of look at me I had a baby four days ago and I'm out and about mm. it's actually really really lovely to say I've just opened my body and birth life and now I'm just going to sit back and replenish and look after myself and nourish myself and receive. And that's what I did. And it felt really, really good. Yeah. Have you had a chance to sit back and reflect on your experiences and the difference between the two? Um, and I guess, you know, pinpointing the factors that contributed to your outcome? I honestly don't think that I would have had the outcome that I had without Jenny. And whether that was, you know, the placebo effect, thinking that she was doing something for me or whether it was legitimate. The predominant feeling in my first experience was that I felt unsupported. Mm -hmm. I, I had articulated that in my first, you know, when I was reflecting back on my first birth and I was, you know, trying to come up with a word and trying to come up with something that I needed to overcome. And it, the feeling was unsupported. And when my husband left to take my kid to daycare and I was literally alone in my apartment in pain in posterior back labor, I was literally unsupported. I had nobody there for me. And that's when I started to go into my mind and and get into my head and, you know, I don't know, that's also a really old story for me. It's, it's an old pain point for me. So when I messaged Jenny and I called Pip in that, like I said, that was a brief moment of lucidity, that was me actually reaching out and asking for what I needed. And that's something I had done so rarely in my life up until that point, admitting that I needed help admitting that I wasn't superwoman and I actually was vulnerable and I needed to feel supported and I needed women around me. That is, the, that was the, I believe like the one thing that I did that, that contributed to that outcome. I asked for, for help and that help rallied around me and Jenny did her work and Pip arrived and, and then, you know, obviously Will and I got in sync and we felt really aligned and then it just, it happened. It just, it happened. And actually, funny story, my um, my birth video came quite late. Um, Laura was quite late delivering the video and she obviously wasn't there to to record the birth. That was her backup backup photographer. And the video came, it just didn't feel reflective of my birth experience at all. And you know, I'm a bit of a pacifist and usually I would be like, it's okay, it's still beautiful, you know, it's lovely, it's fine. But I really strongly felt that I needed this video to show how I felt in the moment. Yeah. I went back to yeah, I went back to Laura and I I gave her more context to how I felt during the birth and I gave her uh, my husband had set up an iPhone when we didn't know if the photographer would get there on time. So we had, you know, a 2-hour iPhone video of me bent over the couch <laughs> doing horrible footage, but 
But she um she ended up cutting some of that in and have it look had it look like a camcorder, like it's got the little overlay of a camcorder and that caught the moments that the the photographer didn't catch because I had asked for um, for her to prioritize stills. So that had me actually saying, it's a boy, I knew you were a boy, which was, I said, that was the second thing I said to him. You know, I said, oh, darling, and then I said, it's a boy, I knew you were a boy. And I really wanted that included and I suggested some songs that felt more powerful and more, I don't know, like more, just more right for us, for our journey. And and I just said, it's a really beautiful video, Laura, and I love it and thank you so much. And, you know, I understand if you can't do this or if you want to charge more, there's absolutely no time limit on it. Like, I don't care if you give me this in a year's time. And she was so gracious and she went back and she re-edited it. And the new edit is just everything that my birth was. And I love it. And I just wouldn't have asked. I wouldn't have asked if I hadn't have had that experience and realised that if we don't ask, we don't receive. Mm. And that's a big part about being a woman. And it's especially important now when there's so much masculine energy in the world. Like we actually need more femininity and we need more, we just need more of that energy. So I asked and I got, I asked and I received and the the birth video is awesome. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, like that, everything you just said, that is the essence of birth. That is the power of birth. It's not just this act of bringing in new life, which of course is magical and powerful in its own right, but it's this experience that triggers a cascade of changes within you, not just physically, but mentally, emotionally, and even socially. It is. And, you know, I felt after having that experience, I felt like I really wanted to get more involved in the movement Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I went down to an event in Lennox Head recently. Um, I'm not sure if you saw it or you went down. It was for Birth Trauma Awareness Week and it was, yeah, you saw it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, run, by, run by some amazing people in that space. And then I shared, you know, I shared a big story to my Instagram account, which is huge and not something I've ever talked about before. So obviously lost a stack of followers and people are like, what the fuck? Just give us more pictures of Antarctica, you know? And I'm like, here's my traumatic birth experience. Love it. And I, I didn't care about any of that. Like, and I, to get that out there I've submitted my um birth trauma story to the New South Wales there's a big poetry um uh campaign going on so I submitted my story to them yesterday it closes today and I just I want to be more involved in the conversation because I know how important it is for women it's not even really about having a natural birth it's about having an empowering birth but I do think so much of that comes down to being given the right information because so many women are choosing elective cesareans not understanding the risks associated and the implications on mother and baby's health and you know lots of stuff around lactation and heaps of other side effects and if you're willing to take that risk like I said go girl like I know I know women that have had empowering elective cesareans and I'm like fuck yeah like that is so awesome I know a lot of women who have had non-empowering elective cesareans who have later looked back and you know learnt more things about birth and been like why was I not told this before yeah 100% and also it's concerning to me that There is little to no awareness around how to bridge the gaps left from interventions. You know, for example, no one explains what happens when interventions disrupt the natural hormonal flow. And women need 
that precise and detailed information so that they're not just thrown in the deep end and feeling like it's them that's broken when they're struggling to bond with their baby or struggling to breastfeed, you know? Yeah, and, you know, down at that birth trauma awareness event that I attended, one of the doctors down there, he was saying that they're now, they're now like, oh, mate, this fucking world that we live in, Mm. they're spending research dollars trying to figure out ways to restore the hormonal gaps in infants from cesarean birth instead of spending that research money elsewhere, like helping women have more empowering natural births. Yeah. They're just like, oh, you know, let's just, let's just keep going on, on the train that we're on. And makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. But, you know, I definitely feel like there is, it might only be a small movement, but there's definitely a movement and more and more women are starting to see the value of having an empowering positive birth experience. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. And I I had so many conversations with women who, yeah, like had had every, every experience. I think I, I think I probably talked to about 200 women during the week that I shared my story. And that's, you know, more than just a go you, yay. Like that was conversations Mm. about their birth and about my birth experience. And what I noticed was that most women, regardless of what happened in their birth, feel shame or guilt or have something carried forth from their birth experience, some of them for more than 30 years after the fact. My audience is so diverse and all different ages. And it's just like, wow, for years you've carried shame around the way that you birthed your child. Like that's not okay. Mm. You were let down by a system that is meant to be there. Like we hire these people, we elect the politicians, we we trust them to make the decisions that are going to benefit us. We're paying for all of this and it's not, it doesn't have our back. It's not looking up us and it just, it makes me really angry. I don't know. I'm just, I'm really, really grateful I had that experience and I think if any of the circumstances had have been different, there would have been a really different outcome and if I had a stepped foot in that hospital, I'm telling you, <laughs> epidural all the way because yeah. I was not handling the pain until I had that support behind me. As soon as I felt like, you know, yes, I was the one that had to do it but I had there was energy swirling around me. Like there was this female energy around me. Like you've got this, you can do it. And Pip was just absolutely unwavering. Like she had so much faith and trust in my ability. And the whole time I felt like she's got it in hand and I've got it in hand. And that huge difference. Out of curiosity, do you feel like this is your family complete? Or? No, not at all. No? I, if oh. anything, I feel like I've got one more in me. I love that. Yeah. So taking into account your last two experiences, what would be your choice in model of care next time around? Birth, home birth all the way. Yeah. And the, the only reason I hadn't chosen that with Will was because of the cost, to be honest. Mm. I had just given up my business and I was in a really weird place last year. You know, I was in, I would say I was in fight or flight for most of the year. I was feeling very ungrounded and there was a lot of question marks over financials and I don't know, it was just, it was quite a, quite an unusual year for me. I did use, I used that stress and that scarcity and, you know, all of this energy that was swirling around me, I used it for the good. I did a lot of personal development last year and, and I found it to be a very, very powerful and transformative year. 
Uh, however, I very early on in the piece, I made the decision not to spend that money. I did spend, you know, an equivalent amount of money on a birth photographer. So that shows where my priorities lie. <laughs> and, you know, I was really lucky to have that experience. Uh, I think, you know, there's a big trend at the moment for free birth or birthing with doulas. And I probably, I don't know, I probably wouldn't do that just because I've had such a positive experience with a midwife. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't know, like, I just believe, I believe that women should birth with women I believe in midwives. You know, I really do. They're yeah. they're gatekeepers. They're they're life givers. They're amazing, amazing women, and they're so trained. And yeah, I, I would feel very, very safe. And I would definitely spend the money next time to have continuity of care and to have a midwife and to have a home birth. That would be my decision straight away. Yeah, and you know you can do it. You know you you had a hard, painful posterior labor but you were safe and you had proper guidance this time around when you needed it, you know? Oh, and that's what I learned. That's what I learned this time. And, you know, refusing, refusing those interventions early on in the piece. And I also, I didn't test for gestational diabetes the second time around. I just refused that test. Yeah. And I just realized like it is actually up to us. And I think there's so much defensiveness now for educated women around the system and that can work against us as well because when you're feeling defensive, you're not in tune with your intuition. So system changes and if the system is evidence-based and women-centered and everybody's getting continuity of care and the opportunity to birth at home if they want to, then we're able to access that intuition that does tell us if something is genuinely wrong. And our health professionals and providers just need to listen because I didn't have that feeling. I knew both times that everything was fine and I knew it really, really strongly and in my heart. But when I look back and I question with Markia's birth, because I was feeling so defensive and a bit scared and a bit angry going into that really unfamiliar environment, like I don't know if something had have gone wrong if I would have felt it because I didn't feel safe. I did not feel safe in that environment and I did not feel that people were there to help me. People were just there to get a baby out of me in the shortest time possible. Yeah. I mean, it's a business, right? It is. Yeah. So on reflection of your journey, what would be your key piece of advice for any expectant mothers out there listening? Oh, you know, it's 11-11 as you asked me that. Oh, my gosh, it is too. <laughs> Look, wow. I, would, I would definitely say if you have the means – and you're feeling really good intuitively about your pregnancy, home birth, home birth and continuity of care, if if indeed that this is something that is of value to you. And, you know, I understand there's so many different perspectives around pregnancy and childbirth. And I know that there are a lot of people out there that are very averse to uncertainty. And I, you know, I recently shared the story of my birth trauma on my Instagram account and to my mail, you know, my email database. And that was very triggering for a lot of people. And I've had a lot of conversations with women who have had really, really different outcomes. You know, the, the full gauntlet, whatever you can imagine, it happened. And through that, it's it's really broadened my knowledge of the area. So I would say it doesn't matter what you choose but choose based on the best evidence-based care, your intuition and what you need in your heart of hearts to have a positive experience. And for some women, that is an elective cesarean. And go, girl, like you do what works for you, but make sure you have the information because there are side effects to every course of action. 
and and even natural birth you know i've talked to somebody that's had a lot of health complications from having natural births when she was younger you know anything can happen in any whichever direction whichever choice you make anything can happen but you just yeah you just need to trust yourself make your decisions based on your values make your decisions based on what's really important to you but if you are listening and you want a natural birth and i assume a lot of people that listen to this podcast are probably in that camp home birth home birth all the way like it would be my first decision next time if indeed <laughs> if indeed there is a next time for me oh i'm positive there will be well thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today lauren it has been an absolute joy oh thank you so much for having me it's so cathartic to just talk about these things and share mm. these things and yeah i hope it resonated with some people listening that brings us to the end of today's episode although it can be emotional to hear a traumatic birth story within the weight of those stories lies a treasure trove of invaluable lessons lauren's two birth stories for me illuminates a powerful truth that there is an undeniable connection between your sacred birth space and how your birth unfolds it is essential that your birth environment aligns with your sense of safety as I listened to Lauren's story today, you could hear that the act of birthing her child in the sanctuary of her home in all her power triggered a profound shift within her. And that is the power of birth. I hope today's episode has left you feeling inspired. I invite you to share your thoughts over on the PBA Instagram. And don't forget to check out the show notes for all the relevant links from today's episode, including a very special offer for PBA listeners and their digital baby journal. We would be forever grateful if you could take a moment to leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast on your podcast platform. Your feedback helps us to reach more women who need it and continue to bring you inspiring stories each week. Thank you so much for being a part of this community. We will be back next week with another episode of Positive Birth Australia. Until then, take care, stay curious and continue to embrace the beauty of birth.